G'day again. Uh, tonight we're joined by Nikki and Tara, and Tara's going to pray for us tonight. But before she does, I'm going to ask Nikki if she'd like to uh, interview Tara and give us a bit of an update of what's happening in the Cousins household. So take it away, guys. Welcome from the Cousins house. So, Tara, yes. I'm going to ask you some questions. I wanted to ask you who your favourite parent was, but you didn't want to answer that, so hurtful. Um, so we are in week 457 of isolation. Um, what is one thing that you like about being in isolation? Um, I like being home and doing whatever I want and just kind of like, you know... Having fun, I guess, by yourself and then also spending time with the family. But then, like, yeah, it's just really yeah. fun. Okay. I would like it if you like to, like, put your dishes in the in the um, dishwasher. If that was something you like to do in isolation, just, just as it, I think all parents would enjoy that. Um, what don't you like about um, being in isolation? Um... Probably not seeing my friends because I haven't seen them for a while. And we would usually hang out like almost every day in the holidays usually. So yeah. it's very difficult. I mean, you can still talk to them online. Um, and what is one thing that you've learnt about yourself in isolation? Um, actually, I, I learned that I don't get bored very easily. Like, I just don't get bored. I'm always occupied and I also learned that I have no excuse to not do my assignments anymore yes that is so yeah that is true um and one non-isolation question if you could have a superpower what would it be putting plates in the dishwasher no uh flying because okay. I have to walk to school every day oh I used to but I used to have to walk to school every day and I didn't like it so right Okay, okay, princess. All right. Well, that's our interview. I hope you've learnt more about Tara. Um, and now Tara's going to pray. Bow your heads. That's what we do. Dear God, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful opportunity to connect with you through these tough times. And we pray that everyone is staying safe and healthy. Thank you for our Soul Revival team and other churches and groups for taking time and the effort for us to reflect on your word and distract us from what's happening on the outside. Lord, please keep us determined and wanting to read the Bible and learn about our awesome God. Thank you for the holidays as we can relax and have fun with our family. Please keep our friends who live by themselves happy and not feel lonely. Thank you for our youth group leaders on a Friday night for keeping us entertained and always finding a way to hang out with us. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That was an awesome prayer. And I'm not just saying that because you're my daughter, but a little bit because you're my daughter. Hi, I'm Jairus and tonight, and I'm going to read the book of Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 to 7. If you could follow along with your Bible, all the words are going to be up there on the screen. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train. Of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he stood, the seraphim, 
He each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and which two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the three holds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, who is me? For I am lost, for I am the man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the lord of hosts. Then once the seraphim flew to me, having in his hands a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this is this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Well, good day again, everybody. Uh, Jairus did such a good job reading that passage. It's a really interesting passage. It's really strange and it's got some stuff in it that you might not have heard before. And tonight I've got the great delight to be able to spend a bit of time unpacking this together because it's a really exciting vision of God's greatness and his grandeur and the fact that he is on the throne and he is in control of everything. Uh, and he always has been and he always will be. And that's something that will give us great uh, comfort and delight at this time. Well, let's have a look at uh, Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, what we get here is the prophet Isaiah is giving us a, a historical moment to connect this vision that he has uh, uh, up for us. So basically in verse 1, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated upon the throne. Now, King Uzziah was uh, one of the kings of Israel, and he just passed away. And we know that that places this prophecy at about 740 BC. So that's 740 years before Jesus was born. For us, add another 2,000 years on top of that, and you can see how ancient this story is. It's very, very old. But what's really exciting is it's focused on something that's even older than the story. The great uh, deal of attention that Isaiah puts into this um, picture here for us of heaven is to show that God is on the throne. God is on the throne of everything. He is in control and he's completely holy. Now, this is meant to comfort us and encourage us greatly, but it also really disturbs Isaiah because in seeing God on his throne with all his holiness with these amazing uh, angelic creatures around him called seraphim, which we'll talk about in a minute, he just becomes so aware that he's so, so very small and so, so very different to God, that God is God and he is not, and that he is so sinful in comparison to God, and he feels so ashamed and so small. And yet what we're going to see here is that um, God is actually showing uh, Isaiah that while it is completely understandable and actually appropriate for him to feel this way when he sees the great beauty and holiness and grandeur of God, there is also a great piece of hope here for him and for the whole human race that we're going to look at with this coal that the seraphim takes from the altar and places upon his lips. And um, it's, a, it's a little ceremony of cleansing, showing him that he's forgiven from his sin. So that's really exciting. Well, before we dive into this in much more detail, I, uh, I just wanted to share um, that when I read this, I get so encouraged because I just think of the fact that God has always been and he always will be and he's been in heaven and he's reigning in eternity. 
And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, that is such a vast concept. It's so hard to get my head around and it's so hard to connect with. And I was thinking about times where I've been in awe of something and I wondered if that would help me to connect with this idea of God's grandeur and his magnificence a little bit because obviously Isaiah is so overwhelmed at this um, vision of seeing God on the throne in heaven that he's actually just completely, his breath's been taken away basically. And the closest I suppose I could think of to coming anywhere near, and it's absolutely nothing like what Isaiah's experiencing, but an experience of awe and wonder that I've had was when I had the great fortune of going over to uh, New Zealand with my family on a holiday. And we had this great opportunity to go on a trip over to New Zealand and we flew into Queenstown. Now, if you've ever been to New Zealand, you'll know that from Australia, it's not a very long flight. And because New Zealand's not very far away from Australia, I just had in my mind, because I'd never been there before, that New Zealand was kind of like Australia. It's, we, we're very similar in our culture. We speak the same language. We have a lot of things in common. We're just like cousins across um, the water. But what really struck me was the landscape in New Zealand is so completely different to anything I'd ever experienced in Australia. Now, Australia is a very old continent. And so even our mountains had been, have been worn down because it's so old. So we don't actually have very high mountains. I think the highest mountain in Australia is the Snowy, which is down, um, I don't even know how big it is, but it's, it's actually a mountain that you, you can walk to. It's a bit of a walk, but you can walk up the top even if you're not a mountain climber. What struck me when I came to New Zealand was as we were flying over the mountains of New Zealand, it was just incredibly impressive seeing these huge ranges of mountains, snow-capped mountains uh, covered by clouds as we came into um, Queenstown. And if that wasn't exciting enough, when we actually landed the plane and got out of the plane, it literally took my breath away as I looked up from the runway immediately in front of me with these huge mountains all around me. And I'd never seen anything like it. Like I said, I'm from Australia and I'm not used to this grandeur and this huge vastness of these mountains. And in that moment, I was looking at it. I just couldn't take my eyes off the mountains for quite a while. But then when I did look around me, I noticed that everybody else who was getting off the plane had had exactly the same reaction as me. We all couldn't take our eyes off these beautiful, huge mountains. And there was something comforting about those mountains. The fact that they had been there for so long. They'd obviously been there a long time before I was born. And as I looked at them, even in that moment, I thought they're going to be around a lot longer than I am. Even after I'm gone, they're still going to be here. And that gave me a strange sense of comfort. Now, when Isaiah comes into the temple, he has this immediate reaction as he sees the grandeur and the majesty and the glory of God as he has been revealed. Now, the year that King Uzziah dies is um, giving us a marker, a time for this uh, vision, but it's also giving us, I suppose, a bit of a uh, theological point in the story of the Bible, which is saying that the uh, King Uzziah dying is kind of like a metaphor for the fact that David's kingdom is starting to decline. So David and his line is declining, yet God promised David that his, reign, his house would reign forever. And we know that his house reigns forever through Jesus, who is a descendant of David, but here we're getting this idea of a decline in the people of Israel. In chapter 1 to 5 in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah has been pointing out the failure of the people of Israel to live as God's people, as God had called them to do. They had run off to mute idols and they had not worshipped God as they should. And so Isaiah's prophecy is all about how God is actually going to bring an accounting to them and they will actually eventually be taken off into exile in Babylon. But here at this point in the story, 
what Isaiah is um, going to witness is not only the grandeur of God and the holiness of God, but he's also going to be commissioned as a prophet of God to take that message to his people, to warn them of the future, that they need to repent of their idolatry and turn to God. Well, Isaiah is in, the, in uh, this, um, this vision here, and he sees the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne. And there's this really cool detail here in verse 1, that the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, the temple at the time of Isaiah was on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and God had instructed Solomon to build the temple. And this temple was actually one of the wonders of the ancient world. To people who came into this vast complex, they would have been completely blown away with how impressive and beautiful and magnificent this temple is. And to give you an idea, they would have had a similar experience of the temple that I had when I got off the plane in New Zealand, seeing those huge mountains. But here, Isaiah says that his vision of God is so big that even just the train of the robe of God fills the whole temple. So God is even more vast than the temple. And he is more other than you could imagine. He is just so magnificent and vast. Now, there are times where, as I've come back to Australia since being in New Zealand, that when things uh, go wrong in society, like what we're going through at the moment with the, the virus that's spreading around the world, the thought that occurs to me is no matter what virus spreads around the world, no matter how our leaders um, work with that, no matter what sort of wars and pestilence or famines or economic crises take place, I think to myself that those mountains in New Zealand are still there and they're still exactly the same as they were that day that I saw them. And it, there's something comforting about that for me that no matter what happens in our human world, those mountains are going to still be there and they'll be there until the second coming of Jesus. So they've been there for thousands of years and they may actually be there for many, many years into the future as well. Yet the problem with that comfort is while it's comforting to know that that's there and it's so beautiful and that, that beauty is still existing no matter what's going on in the world, it still is not really tactile. It's not really part of my experience. It's not something I can actually take strength of in my day to day. But here the vision that Isaiah has of God is very different because God is not just some kind of cosmic watchmaker that's made the earth and then set it off in its orbit and not having anything to do with it. God is present in his creation because the reference here to the temple shows us that what has happened here is that God has chosen for himself a people through Abraham. He's called the people of Israel to be in relationship with him. And even though they were taken off into captivity in Egypt, he actually led them out of Egypt and took them out of slavery and then tented with them in the wilderness until such a time as he commanded Solomon, as I said, to build a temple for himself so he could dwell in the midst of his people, in the midst of all the peoples of the earth. And the people of Israel were meant to be in relationship with God and their relationships with each other that flew from the relationship with God were meant to be so different that the whole world were actually attracted to that and understood that Yahweh was great, that their God, the God of Israel, was high and exalted. But the problem was that even though God was existing with them in the temple, they had denied that relationship and they'd walked away from him. And yet Isaiah is reminded that God still is in control despite their rebellion and he still is present with them in the temple. And that gives me a great deal of encouragement because as we know that Jesus is actually going to come and dwell with us 
740 years after this prophecy. And as he goes back into heaven, he promises that he would send the counsellor to be with us, the Holy Spirit, to stay with us. So in a very real sense, Jesus said that once while the Holy Spirit dwelt amongst the people in the temple, now he lives with us in our hearts through the lives of the believers. In verse 2, it goes on and says, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, I love this image of these angelic creatures that dwell with God in heaven around the throne. There are these seraphim with six wings that are flying and they're singing and their voices are shaking the temple as Isaiah listens to it. And I love the fact that here we get a picture of something that is way beyond any of our experience. We have no idea what this grandeur is like. We can only imagine what this grandeur is like, but we can see the impact that this vision has had on Isaiah. In verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When he sees God on his throne, surrounded by these angelic creatures, he's not just impressed, he's reflective. He reflects on himself and compares himself to the magnificent, majestic image he sees in front of him. And he says, I am amongst a people of unclean lips, meaning that we have left the Lord. We have not actually done what the Lord has asked us to do. And he counts himself in that. That's what he says. Woe to me, I cried. I am a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Now that's appropriate for us as we actually understand how great and holy God is that we understand that we actually let God down and that we actually sin against him Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 blessed are the poor for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven and what he's saying there is a similar thing to what Isaiah is saying if you actually understand that God is holy and he is perfect and you consider your own life in comparison to God you're actually going to be brought low as Isaiah has been brought low considering how beautiful God is. But we have this beautiful moment where the seraphim flies in verse 6 and takes a live coal in his hands, which he'd taken from the altar with tongs. A live coal meaning literally a coal that's on fire and he touches the prophet's mouth with that coal in verse 7, which is quite unusual. He touches his lips to symbolically cleanse him and says in verse 7, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. In other words, God has chosen to forgive your sin. And what is beautiful about this is this is the experience that all of us can have. That if we trust in Jesus and trust in his sacrifice for us on the cross and we believe with all our heart that he died on the cross and he rose from the dead to pay for our sin, if we have actually understood that we are sinners and we need a saviour, when we reflect on the glory and the majesty of God and we actually ask for forgiveness and we turn from our sins, then we are forgiven. And as forgiven people, we can trust that we are safe in eternity because the king who is on the throne in heaven has forgiven us our sins 
so that we might actually be safe. Now, if I take two steps back from that, I think to myself, I am saved in eternity and now I'm going to take two steps back from that and I'm going to think about how does that actually affect the way I live now? Well, if I'm safe in eternity, I think to myself, this life on earth is such a short time. Can I live now in light of what I will live like in the future? I once heard it said by uh, someone who, who was thinking about this kind of idea that when you think of the story of your life, your life on earth is almost just like the introduction to the book of your life. You haven't even got to chapter one yet before you pass away and go to meet God. There's going to be an eternity with God that we're going to experience. We're going to be safe in eternity in heaven and see him face to face as Isaiah has seen him, but we'll be forgiven of our sin as Isaiah was forgiven. And so if we take two steps back from that reality that we're going to live with him forever, let's make sure as best we can that we seek to live in the victory of Christ's death and resurrection on the cross now. So the way that impacts us now is that we know that what we're going through is just passing. It's not eternal. And we know that, don't we? This COVID crisis is going to pass. But what we need to be encouraged to do is live as Christians now through this suffering because we know the time will finish. It's kind of like when we go to the gym. And if you've ever been to the gym and you've lifted weights, sometimes you've lifted weights for the whole session and you get to the end and it's almost like the, the last 10 um, bar presses that you're going to do are just almost feeling impossible. But what gets you through is you think to yourself, this is hard, this is hurting, but I've only got 10 left. Now I've only got nine left. Now I've only got eight, seven, six, five. I'm halfway. And by the time you get to nine, you've got no strength left, but you push through the suffering knowing that it's going to finish. And the way I think we can face suffering in this life and we can help others that suffer is because we know our suffering and their suffering is going to end. And if we can have that eternal perspective, it can actually really give us a lot more hope and security and strength through times of suffering, knowing that there's going to be a time where that suffering finishes. So having a firm view of God on the throne is even more exciting for us to have in our mind's eye as we go through these kinds of suffering than it is for me to know that those mountains are still there. Because tomorrow, if I was able to get on a plane and fly to New Zealand, which I can't, but if I could and I flew into Queenstown tonight, I could get off the runway and those mountains would still be there. Think to yourself tonight, no matter what happens in Australia tomorrow, God is seated on his throne and he is there tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He was there a long time before we were even born for an eternity stretching backwards and he will be on his throne for eternity stretching forwards. The beautiful thing is that if you trust in Jesus, you can experience that eternity with him. So let's be steeled in this time to love and to care and to help each other and not to panic or lose hope because we know our future is brighter than our past. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings at the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Thank you.
OK by Exxon.